0: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
4: My name is Alex, and I have more than one partner. I know we'll be all- I was raised in a family that, you know, my mom and my dad were always together and it was always just kind of like super monogamous and uh, and I kind of picked up that same spirit. But when we were researching this episode, um, there was a lot of really cool ideas that kind of came to my mind. Uh, The same way that people might have a spouse or a sexual partner, they might also have a best friend or a friend they play video games with or a friend that they do certain activities with. And it started making me think about Kind of the purpose for people in your lives, and that's why I really was so excited to do this episode um, expanding kind of what relationships are and what they mean. So while I have a girlfriend and I am a very monogamous-minded person, uh, I was so excited to kind of hear the reasoning and the um, experience and life experience behind people who have different types of relationships. Um, And so this isn't really a story time because this is something that I'm really here to learn with you guys. Usually, I have a real nice long story about my experience in the field, but today uh, I'm gonna let my guests do the talking. So, this just got me thinking is one partner enough, and what's it like to actually have more than one partner? What's up, y'all? It's Alex Iono here. This is my podcast, Let's Get Into It, where we get into everything, especially things that I have no experience on. And today we are talking about OSOs. You're going to hear that a lot in today's episode. It stands for Other Significant Others. Like I said in my story, I don't have a lot of experience in this. I'm actually really excited to learn more and more about it. And I'm going to be learning from not one, not two, which is our normal number, but three amazing guests. Uh, And I want to introduce you to them right now. Uh, First up, we have a stand-up comedian who's also the host of several podcasts, including The Male Gaze and Who's Your God? He's also been featured on Comedy Central and was a field correspondent for I Love You America with Sarah Silverman, the one and only Steve Hernandez. What's up, man? Hey, Alex. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, man. You are fortunate enough to actually have a real personal connection to another one of our guests she is a <laughs> los angeles-based comedian host of what's your sign a comedy astrology podcast she's also been featured in nylon bustle the new york times women's health magazine vogue and cosmopolitan julia lokin how are you
5: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me.
4: You guys got a pedigree. I mean, combined, we're going to get into your relationship in general, but just pedigree alone, you guys got <laughs> just a full gamut of success. Yeah. We have
5: good
4: uh, credits. <laughs> <laughs> Some solid, solid credits. Uh, and on top of those credits that you guys share, we have one more guest with us: the author of the best-selling book *The All or Nothing Marriage: How the Best Marriages Work*, a professor at Northwestern University, as well as a social scientist studying romantic relationships. He's published over a hundred. Geez, Louise! I'm looking at this. This is crazy how much how much work has been done amongst my three guests. He's published over 150 scientific papers and is a contributor to the op-ed page of the New York Times. Eli Finkel, how are you, Eli? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Not only am I intimidated, but I'm very excited to uh, to learn about uh, about this topic about open relationships and other significant others. First up, Steve and Julia, you guys and myself are going to be talking about opening up your first-hand experience in relationships that I can't speak on. Uh, And then we're going to take a break and uh, we're going to come back. And Eli, you and I are going to be talking about the complications of uh, and the intricate, I would say intricacies more than complications of different types of relationships. Uh, And then last but not least, we got we're talking love hacks and it's going to be all four of us. And we're just going to be figuring out how the best relationships work well. Um, But before we get into that, uh, I have a question that I ask all of my guests. And it's a pretty simple question. It is What have you been doing this week to improve yourself? Julia, you seem like you have an answer for us.
5: I do. I have lots of answers. I've adopted like a real uh, mantra for the year, not a resolution per se, but something that I'm constantly kind of trying to do, which is systems, not stories. So I think I make up a lot of like negative self-talk stories that end up persisting problems instead of solving them. So I'm trying to come up with like, okay, I haven't been posting enough on social media. So instead of thinking like, oh, I'm bad at that, I'm going to create a schedule for myself and say, like, Monday I need to post this thing Tuesday I need to do this Um, I've been feeling bad uh, physically and so I did yoga today that's another one where I was like that's a a system over a story instead of making up a story about how I'm a terrible person who doesn't take care of themselves my friend was teaching a yoga class and I took that yoga class
4: yeah I like that systems over stories that's a I'd never even heard of that before but that makes so much sense as you explained it I love that I love that Uh, Steve you got something for us
1: yeah, I've got a few things. I think in the middle of this pandemic and everything, especially it goes long, on longer and longer, uh, I've been making it a real habit to uh, reach out when I start to feel bad, when I start to feel anxious or depressed. So uh, not only have I been, I've been making phone calls to my friends, with, especially I think as a, as a man, men don't typically do this kind of thing, but I have been making phone calls. But uh, twice this week, I met my friends out, socially distanced over at the Silver Lake Reservoir, and we went for a two-mile walk. But we were able to talk for a half an hour and then go, you know, on the the two- or three-mile walk. It takes about an hour. And, you know, no matter what anyone says, any kind of thing, just moving your body and seeing a friend because we can't do that anymore, it energizes you and makes you feel so good. And if you're feeling hopeless or anxious or depressed, even a little bit, uh, remembering that you're not in this alone and that people love you in this world—it's been—it's—it's—it's it's, it's changed the way uh, I feel completely.
4: Oh man, I love that, especially because, like you mentioned, in the pandemic, it's really taken. Uh, we've had episodes about it where anybody who has mental illness, who's already kind of known about it and has been dealing with it, it's taken a hit, and a lot of people are also now realizing. Um, kind of the daily struggles. We just recorded an episode about um, about anxiety and how some of anxiety is, is built into everybody. And some of it, especially in times like this, can really flare up. And so uh, I think that's a great idea. Reaching out is huge. I started seeing a therapist in the pandemic. It was the first time that I decided to actually like reach out, reach out. And so the fact that that was your answer makes me very, very happy, my friend. All right. <laughs> um, Eli, how about you? What have you been doing this week to improve yourself?
6: Well, the new academic term started this quarter, and I'm teaching my undergraduate course on relationship science, the, the field where you use data to try to figure out what works in relationships. And I've been studying this stuff for over 20 years now, but I decided to do a, a significant overhaul on the course, especially because it's the first time I've ever taught several hundred people on Zoom. And it has been a blast. I've been doing a lot more work than necessary, and it's certainly paying off so far.
4: I don't even know if I fully understand what you just said, but we're going (laughs) to unpack. We're going to unpack all of it. Um, uh, It sounds like taking a course on on how successful relationships work probably is something that we should all do. And that's why we're here today uh, talking about it. Um, We got I'm just hyped today. We have such good energy. So let's get straight into it. Steve and Julia, let's get into talking. Eli, I'll be with you in just a sec. You can sit tight. First off, you guys just got married. Congratulations! Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. How was how was what's a wedding like in in pandemic mode? What it t- take me down <laughs> take me down the 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 road?
5: Uh, well, it's a real. Uh, I think it's like most things in in pandemic mode. It's a very uh, much an exercise in surrender and being being okay with what you can and can't control and those kinds of things. Um, we went to Vegas and we were going to try to have a a really small, intimate kind of family only ceremony in-person thing, you know, obviously taking into account everything that was going on. Um, but as the numbers particular here in LA got worse and worse, it just became apparent that that was not going to be an option. Um, but Mm -hmm. we still wanted to get married in 2020. It felt like a, like a good way to kind of wrap up a shitty year and we wanted to be married so we decided to go to vegas which i'm a big vegas person and having like a not a shotgun vegas wedding but some kind of like quickie vegas wedding is like a a thing that i thought would be fun um and it was very funny. It was like, a, I mean, not it was very special and romantic and sweet too. But it's just, it was a really surreal, you know, being in Vegas during a pandemic. I think you I, like, I, it, it just hit me on a lot more levels than I was expecting because you're seeing people, it was a weird thing to see people still kind of out acting like it's not a pandemic and uh, all of the things that come with that. But it was also a really great, I think, Like I said, exercise and surrender of really being like what's important about this isn't all of the other thing. Like we wore Dodger jerseys and we got our rings when we were there and all of these things that it's like it was special because it was us getting married and and professing our love to each other and doing this thing. It wasn't what we were wearing or any of those things. So it was a real like put your money where your mouth is kind of exercise for me, I think.
4: Ah, and how long have you guys been together exactly? Uh, six six years. years. Six years. Six years. And so was there any part of you guys that I know you had mentioned you wanted to wait. 2020 seemed like a great time to to make something good out of the year. Uh, but was there any part of you guys that said, hey, we should just wait until it's until pandemic's over so we can have the family and the party and the and the whole nine? I mean, we're still going to do that. That's that's the only reason. Oh yeah, why. Duh. Julia like, has her wedding yeah. dress. She has like the, a nice
1: wedding dress and everything. We're still going to do that, God willing, at, at, at New Year's Eve next year. Uh oh. Hopefully, everyone will be okay by then. It'll be safe. But um, yeah, it's so f- we did it because I I just I didn't want to call this. We only got engaged in early November. I just I didn't want to call her fiance for a whole year. We lived together already. She's been my wife in my heart for a while now so it's just felt silly to me i was like i'm not gonna i, I was a little cautious because i felt bad about going to vegas but we went we spent the night in a hotel and then our appointment was at twelve thirty p.m and then we got the heck out of vegas so i think there was just that thing it was funny because we were like let's go let's do it i wanted this to be official and we did it and then when we get to this little white chapel and this uh super sweet, hilarious little uh, Filipino woman in a glittery like, bow tie was marrying <laughs> us. And then she, she was really great, because she but she was rushing us too. She's like, alright, now walk down the aisle. And she ran up front and pressed play on the CD player and the song played. And then she's like, say something sweet to her. Say it from your heart. And then I look into Julian's face and as fun as this and I was like, this is just to make it official, but the real wedding's next year. When I looked in her face, I was I was like surprised at how moved I was. I was like, okay, the real wedding's next year, but also I can't believe this. We're really getting married. And right. there's absolutely nobody in the world that I would rather be uh partnered with than this perfect woman right here. So I was surprised at how how much emotion and how much is still right there in that thing that we want to do to be fun and to make it official with paperwork. But I was surprised at how uh, swelled I was with emotion. She was like, speak from your heart. And you got to believe me, Alex, I've got like the sickest, like, of aisles already written in my head. but So I didn't want to waste it right. in Vegas. So I was just like, mm, I, I just said like very simple things, but also looking in joy's face. I was like, I'm so happy that we're here right now doing this because uh-huh. I'm, I'm so
4: excited to be uh, partnered up with you. The- my my heart is absolutely just overflowing right now and i actually i'm actually so glad you guys said that too because and and i don't and i and i really hope that nothing that i say is taken for anything other than me really being excited about learning about other types of relationships but i i'm so glad that you started with that because your relationship isn't uh, is is not necessarily the uh, I don't I don't even know, like a traditional relation. I don't know how maybe it's more traditional. We're going to learn. But um, I I want to get this right. Steve, you are open and Julia is not open. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I would say that I identify as non monogamous polyamorous and Julia at this point does not. So, yeah, I, I would say that's fair to say
4: so I, I I would love to to just break that down and conventional that's the word I, I was I was thinking of earlier. but I want to break that down because I'm so glad that you started with how how loving and and, and incredible even if it was in Vegas, I'm so glad you talk about how rich your love is because I think a common misconception, including a misconception that I had for the longest time until I actually made friends with somebody a few years back who was in an open relationship and kind of schooled me a little bit a common misconception with an open relationship is this whole like, well, they're not really, it's just, they're like into each other, but they're not that into each other, but they don't want to not be with each other. Like there's a lot of misconceptions. And so I'm glad that we're here, um, talking about it and unwrapping it. Um, but first, before we get into the, the nitty gritty of that, I, I'd like to take it all the way back to to kind of the early stages of your guys' relationship. Julia, on your end, what was that conversation like? At what point did you guys have the conversation of being polyamorous or, or monogamous? And, you know, were you guys already in love? Was it right at the beginning on the first date? Uh, walk me through that.
5: Well, we're both um, stand-up comedians, and that means that we... Uh, I guess, thankfully, I don't know. I don't know if thankfully is the right word, but I, say I, thankfully. I think so. I think thankfully, I mean, I don't think we could do it any other way. Um, but I, these are things that I knew about Steve before we were in a relationship together, because you talk mm. about yourself in your material. So I was aware that he had been in, in previous um, non-monogamous relationships. And when we got together, it wasn't necessarily like an explicit conversation that we had, but I do feel like it was something that I knew was part of him and part of his baggage, so to speak, that was coming with, or like just part of who he is and that that was something that would likely come up. And then, um, but it wasn't, uh, you know, I, I feel like it was more of a thing of like, yes, that's something that I'm aware of. We'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it, because I think, uh, it wasn't something that was Happening when we were first together, uh, but as obviously we've been together longer, there's been just different, I think different conversations about it at different points. Sometimes uh, around like, is this something that you um, can be okay with is kind of the, I guess the main question that would come up at different points as we got further along in our relationship.
4: So the thing that I'm really interested in learning about Especially with you. I like I mentioned, I I have made friends with people who are in open relationships, but I've never made friends with somebody who's in a, uh, I guess, partially open relationship. I don't know if that's the proper term for it. Can you talk about your choice to be partially open and why that was still important to you uh, to remain monogamous, even though you were entering this relationship?
5: it's something for me that's just not a thing right now. I can't say how I'm going to feel, you know, further down the line. And I think that's kind of my feeling about the whole thing in general is more just like, it's not really an issue for me. Not, not the practice in and of itself, but I mean, the, the, to me, I don't, I'm not like struggling with monogamy or anything. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's, always going to be the case or whatever. But I mean, especially literally right now in the pandemic and whatnot, like I'm not, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not, uh, open, but I think it's less, I think it's more just like, a to each their own kind of thing. So it's not necessarily a decided I am monogamous. He is not kind of thing. It's more just like, if this is what you need to do, this is what you do. I don't need to do that at the time there may again, like I said, there may come a time in the future when I when I would like to. And at that point, I'm going to be really grateful that I'm with a partner who is open to those ideas and having those discussions. Because I think that that more than anything, I think being able to talk about it and being able to hold the idea of Evaluating is this working for me versus these are the ways that this is supposed to go, mm. um, is the most important thing I think for anybody, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or a non-monogamous relationship, whatever, whatever kind, even casual dating sort of thing. If the, if the the core thing for all of those things is figuring out what actually works for you and makes you feel happy and fulfilled and like you are showing up in the most whole and complete kind of way.
4: Oh man. This is the thing is like I, I really have, since you guys started speaking on your relationship, I'm like, wow, I, again, I think uh, it's common misconceptions by by monogamous people. They ask questions that are probably very, very annoying to be asked and they and they um, and they view things in a different way where it's, I think, it's very label based. And it's like, well, if you're in a relationship, then it means this and it has to mean that. And what you'd mentioned is like, look, at the end of the day, you're with somebody who's just so open minded that says, hey, if your heart desires something and and you need to follow your heart, then like you go after it. Steve, I want to switch it over to you uh, a little bit. I, I have not heard the, the your comedy um Your comedy routines that involve talking about uh, your maybe your reasoning behind being uh, polyamorous. But can you talk me through kind of what led you to that um, that answer that that was something that you that you desired?
1: Um, I, I think it's something I, I got into with my ex. I've been doing this for about 15 years and uh, I was married previously. We were open. That wasn't the reason why we ended. We ended cause I started doing comedy, which is a terrible <laughs> lifestyle. I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it on anybody. I really do. I feel bad about it with my ex-wife that I started comedy after we got married and it was really like the worst thing you could put on someone, but her, her and I were open as well. Uh, we stumbled into it. Uh, sh- um, you know, we stumbled into it. We started doing all the other things. And then when I was married, I was like a regular kind of anybody who would identify as polyamorous, all the kind of things you've heard are, are like the scummy jokes or whatever. I was like the guy who was trying to like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was trying to talk everyone into it. Like, this is like the best lifestyle for everyone. Everyone needs to think this way. This like that. I now understand that that's absolutely not the case and and that my how i define it is constantly evolving as well i really love relationships and i really love people and to me ultimately i want each relationship to be what it what it can be and if that includes physicalness that's okay if it's a romantic relationship without touching i would like it to be that kind of a thing too i understand most people have a hard time just finding one partner so i know how greedy it looks for me to say I want like more than this perfect person. I I mean, people would be like, you piece of shit. You got Julia, you've got the perfect person and you still want more. And it's like, I don't, I mean, yes, absolutely. That's the case. I want the most out of life and I want all my
4: relationships to be authentically what both people want them to be. Mm, All makes sense. I mean, I think that's, and and that's why I want to walk into this next question kind of uh, as if not as a curiosity, but you the way that you just explained it, um, I think a, a pretty common question that would be asked is like, isn't isn't an open relationship just basically like free pass to cheat? But the way that you explained it, it, it kind of feels uh, a lot more ethical than 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 the free pass to cheat type of thing. So can you explain to me how, how you differentiated that and knowing, like you had mentioned, there's a lot of like people who kind of mask an open relationship with just not necessarily being able to be faithful to one person. And so they just kind of go off. Can you explain to me the difference between the two of those things?
1: Well, yeah, I can't, I can only tell you about my own journey. And there was a time when I was married previously, I remember like looking for people to hook up with. Mm. Um, I don't really do that anymore it's become more of a philosophical thing for me. I very much uh want to honor our relationship. Um I do know sometimes I dated somebody last year for about 10 months, uh, 3 months before the pandemic and then kind of that seeped into the pandemic. We ended up having to end it cuz we just couldn't really see each other that much. It got but when I was dating that person, uh with Julia, I would tell her, you know, I'm going to see this person this day or I'm going to go call her in the other room. And Julia would be okay with it sometimes. And sometimes she, you could tell that it bothered her. And so for me, I, I know, understand why it bothers her because I think society and how we view romance, uh, has put so much weight on the romantic relationship that she's bound to think that I'm not enough for this person. So I understand that. Um, and those times I would come back and we would talk for a couple of hours or an hour and then she would be okay. And so mm. um, to me, I want to live the fullest life I can live. I, I want Julia to be happy, but I do know when she feels hurt and stuff like that, that it's based on stuff that I don't believe and I don't think she really believes. And I, I mean, the newest thing for me in the past year or two is I really want the people that I date or sleep with to be happy and whole too. There's been a lot of people that will agree to something like this, but I know ultimately they don't understand what they're signing up for, that they end up falling in love. They end up wanting this other thing. And so the older I get, the longer I do it, the more I understand to ethically do this, where everybody involved is going to be happy and their expectations are going to be met. I think that it becomes a more rare and more rare opportunity. But I'm so glad the foundation of this is laid because I do believe I'm going to be able to have those two or three other people in my life in the next 20 years where they're going to be like different kinds of soulmates, like great friends that I happen to be able to have sex with and kiss sometimes. But to me, it's all about intimacy and it's all about being honest and open about all of those things so that nobody Mm. feels deceived or taken advantage of.
4: You had mentioned that uh, you know you had said sometimes you call and if it's in the other room, you always give it a heads up are there uh, and this is I'm bringing uh, Julia you're back you're back in the conversation I'm back. <laughs> um, thank you are there any you guys have specific rules i I'm, I'm really i'm tr- I'm truly curious is it something that you set ground rules ahead of time um was there anything specifically Julia that you said, hey I really want to know these things I don't want to know these things what are the kind of the ground
0: well, rules?
5: I think at first I definitely had more of a, like, I don't want to know kind of position. But the more that things unfolded, the more I was like, well, I need to know, like, a little bit bec- only for the sake of, I think it's like a, a protective thing for sure. But then, um, you know, you talked about doing an episode on anxiety. I think a lot of times your mind can come up with way more complicated mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a sto- mind storyteller. That's why I need right. that mantra for me, <laughs> that it's easier to to have someone say, OK, I'm talking to this person uh, like you just some some things. I don't need to know, like well,
1: details,
5: but yeah, like I mean, the- it's
1: it's so funny. We're best friends, too. So even this last person, for instance, which I would say it's our the, our whole relationship. Maybe we had a don't ask, don't tell thing, but we really didn't. We spend we're both comics. so We spend so much time together. There was there's things here and there that I would do. But this is the first person I would say that I dated when we were together. And it felt so funny because she's my best friend and we talk about everything all the time. And so she was like, at first, I don't want to I don't want to hear about any of this. And I was like, okay, but, you know, I'm sitting here and I have a French. I'm like, have a different separate thing that I'm excited about or that I have issues with or problems with. And I'm like, I can't believe I can't talk to my best friend about this stuff. Right. And so I think at some point I did start, that was something we talked about and I did start talking about it and maybe problems I was having or issues or these things coming up. And I do think that did calm you down a little bit. Right, Jules?
5: Yeah, I think it helps. Cause I think that's what I mean where I'm like, I think in your mind, you think it helps you to not know? And me, for me saying, I don't want to know, um, I, I think, like I said, is definitely a protective thing. But I think also for me, it was really important to try my best to not have my own preconceptions or judgments influence his experience with this other person too. Because as much as, you know, I have, I'm very aware that even though we're literally talking about monogamy, there are these same kinds of issues for relationships in any kind of thing. You could replace this with someone who has like a... a, is super into sports or whatever. Like there's always going to be things that, that are potential things for disconnection or potential things for you to have problems with that you, that are bringing up personal triggers for you that you project onto that other person. And I going into this, I wanted to be very clear that like, I'm going to take responsibility for whatever comes up for me and know that it's coming up because of these things but it is mm. not a causal thing necessarily that like he is doing this to me to hurt me right, like this right. is what comes up for me is my fear of abandonment when you go when you go and do something without me i get afraid that you're going to leave me that doesn't mean that that thing isn't like, that I'm not entitled to those feelings, but I'm able to understand that I am I am not feeling that because he's doing that. I'm feeling that because I have that fear inside of me. And that might come, again, that's what I mean in saying, like, for someone else, that same fear of abandonment might come up when someone goes to the gym too much or whatever. Like, there's, it's it doesn't have to literally be seeing another person. But because it is seeing another person, I do think it kind of accelerates those things for you to, to deal with them a little bit more quickly. Um, but sorry, I went off on a tear. Uh, like the knowing stuff, I think it does put your mind at ease because then you're just hearing, again, you're, you're allowing whatever, whatever things are coming up for you are kind of creating worst case scenario sorts of things. So hearing about a person, it reminds you that they're a person. It reminds you that it's not like a boogeyman, uh, you know, like evil, some somewhat saboteur coming to destroy you and your relationships and all of those kinds of things. So I think that it's still a fine line and it's, it's, it's up to you, the person on the receiving end, will say, to kind of be making sure that you are sifting through and saying like, what's something that can be a practical ask of like I said at one point, like, hey, could you do your best to, like, make these calls when I'm not here. Because I feel like a creep having to sit in the other rooms. Like, uh, you know, I know that you're going to do this, but could you please... That's, like, a practical ask versus, like, when you're doing this, it's hurt, you know, whatever. Like, right. those are things... What is what is okay to ask and what's not? Again, like, systems versus the story.
4: There we go. Systems versus <laughs> stories. Coming back. It's really... It really is. And, and, and I hope this is taken as a compliment. It's really cool hearing how like you guys are the most stable relationship I think I've ever seen and it, and it comes off of something that I think a lot of people either view as as different or maybe you know all, all different opinions and it's and it's really cool just seeing how something that Um, That is so different than the way that I choose to express my love is still so stable and so comfortable. And and it reminds me of my own relationships that I've had and especially the relationship I'm in now that is so focused on making each other happy and also making ourselves happy. So I, I think that's awesome. You've already expressed, and this is my last question before we take a break, um, you've already expressed kind of the ways that it can get complicated or the anxieties about it or um, any of the problems that can come up. But what ways has, has your relationship become better in this in this partially open relationship?
1: I am so in love with her. It makes me so like I feel so blessed and so happy that someone would a- allow me to be myself in this way. Cause, cause I, I don't, you know, she, she called it baggage early. I know she didn't mean it like that, but you know, going into it, this is kind of just how I am. And I know this is how I work best and that I'll, I personally uh, wouldn't feel comfortable with the idea of monogamy, even just philosophically, it bothers me. So I love that she allows me to intellectually express this stuff and you know, that I'm able to go out like this. And, and I mean, it's just, I just don't think it's going to, I feel so bad because she's all over my Instagram, Alex. You got to see this Instagram, but she's all over it. And I almost feel so bad because I'm so in love with her. It's so obvious that I'm in love with her that I almost don't want to see anyone else ever because I'm like, I got to rub it in, I got to rub it in their face how much I love my wife. (laughs) I feel like an asshole.
4: (laughs) Right, right. But
1: uh, I do feel so free and able to come home and have this person as my home base and that accepts me and knows me loves me unconditionally. To me, it is uh, so freeing. And I mean, I'm just, I feel blessed.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that, like I said, there's nothing about it philosophically that I disagree with. To me, my, my hesitations with, with non-monogamy open relationships is to me more about efficiency and effectiveness. And I think that it's a thing that's, that, like you said, there's a, there are complications, there are things like that. And it's not so much the, I have no philosophical disagreements. It's more in the practice being in a non-monogamous relationship. It also is held up a mirror in ways, like I've been saying, where it's like, even if it's not, in our relationship, are there other areas of my life where I'm not being open in a way that I could be? Am I, am I also like putting up barriers to connection in other ways? Maybe that, that can mean literally in relationships, but also I think it's really forced me to, um, not forced, but forced in a lot of ways too. uh, like sped up. That's what I mean. I don't mean it like, aggressively forced, (laughs) but like, like accelerated things to where I think, again, you can get mushier of like, Oh, is this, I could have, I could have done this like abandonment thing or self-worth kind of thing. I could have projected that onto any number of things or, and that's a problem that could have persisted for a bunch of years. But because again, we're like dealing with it so immediately. And so literally, I think it's really made me kind of Um, have to show up for myself in a lot of ways and, and um, that I'm really happy for and really grateful for. And I'm grateful to have a partner who also like asks that of me and, and wants me to be the fullest expression of who I am and the most kind of like honest, authentic, someone who's like growing and challenging themselves and isn't going, isn't going to let me off, not growing and and addressing things because it's for it's cuz it's good not not in a way because it's like oh you need to do this but in a way where it's like these are this is going to help you as a a person
4: I'm like I'm literally like my heart is so warm right now you guys are really it's really I'm so grateful that you guys are here just to one expand my knowledge on this situation or on this um on this topic and and also just to I think you, you we need more love like we need more love in the world right now and so getting to hear it from other people and like hear people profess their love for each other it's just so it's so amazing um we're gonna take a quick break when we come back uh, i'm gonna be speaking with eli about it's complicated don't go anywhere
0: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 2025 QX 80 coming this summer.
3: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
4: All right, we are back. This is let's get into it. And I have the one and only Eli Finkel, professor at Northwestern, also the author of The All or Nothing Marriage. Eli, we just you you just got to listen to me speaking with um with Steve and Julia and uh it just it just felt I my I'm like I'm I'm so excited to speak with you on on the actual kind of, I don't know, scientific background of a relationship like that. But um, how, how common are, are relationships like that um, outside of monogamy?
6: Well, if you're talking about non-monogamous relationships in particular, I mean, they certainly go back at least till biblical times and certainly, uh, you know, beyond that. Um, if you're talking about the the sort of non-monogamous relationship that Steve and Julia have, that's of the now. Um, the language that surrounds it with authenticity and growth and living a full and honest life, like th- that's the language of uh, America in the 21st century more than it is the language of, you know, King David.
4: Yeah. And you you talk a lot about how right now it's a lot different than the way it used to be. Society now tells us that we fall in love and the person that we choose has to be everything. It's got to be the place you find happiness, the place you go on adventures, the place you have sex, you laugh, you're comforted, you're uh, having intellectual conversations with and spiritually compatible, all of these things, and that they should be just the one, you know, everybody talks about the one and, and they talk about soulmate and it's always a very singular term. Um, but in your book, all or nothing marriage, you talk about how that idea, that concept is actually new. It's very, very new, but at the same time, there are, there are other needs. So how can an OSO as we, as we will use that term again, um, make your primary relationship better?
6: Well, a relationship's quality is determined to a large extent by how much the needs and expectations we bring to the relationship are met by this one other person, and it means that there's you know a few different ways we can improve the relationship. Um, one way is to do what relationships. You know, therapists and scholars like me tend to tell people, which is how do you have more meaningful connections? How do you communicate better? How to have effective date nights? But another strategy that that isn't really about sort of investing more in the relationship is figuring out the ways that this one person isn't going to be able to satisfy every single thing. And stop relying on that one person to do those things. And so Mm -hmm. this is the idea of the other significant other or the OSO. There are many ways that we can look to our broader social networks for a range of different sorts of fulfillment. I don't just mean romantic or sexual sorts of connections. Uh, You know, we used to socialize in in same-sex groups, and nobody ever said things like, I want to marry you because you're my best friend. It would have seemed ludicrous. (laughs) Um, But these days, we spend more and more time with our one significant other. It comes at the expense of time that we spend separate from that person, but with other significant others, friends or, or potentially romantic partners aside from the primary one. Um, and, you know, to the degree that we can sort of spread the love around a little bit and make sure that we're we're focusing on our relationship in the ways that play to the strengths of that relationship and finding ways to look elsewhere in, when there might be a limitation or, or a uh, something less than perfect fulfillment within the relationship.
4: So based off of that, and based off of also kind of what Julia and and Steve had said, I started kind of connecting things, you know, Julia had mentioned, uh, the same way that somebody goes to the gym so much, it can make somebody feel like their time is being given somewhere else, or or that they're dedicated to something else. How do you differentiate? Or maybe there's not a differential, like is, is... you know, if I like to play video games every night with my with my one homie that lives in on the other side of the earth and I have to play it, like it's, it's how I get that out. Is that considered an OSO? Is that just a hobby? That's because what I'm starting to realize is maybe before this podcast, I thought when you're in an open relationship, the only time that you're with other people is to like have sex. It's a sexual <laughs> thing. I always thought that. And I'm so wrong, like insanely wrong. And I'm so happy that I've come to, this episode so that I can learn about the depths of, of open relationships. But now that it, now that we're kind of talking about it and you say sometimes it's people who just make you happy or it's doing something and, and committing to something else outside of your relationship. How do you differentiate like an OSO then from something like I, got, I go to the gym every day and I have my workout partner that I go and I work out with all the time?
6: I mean, I would define an OSO broadly, but there are certainly subcategories, and a a workout buddy is very different from a a sex buddy or a love buddy. Um, The... the broader context here there are three different types of open relationships um, it sounds as if uh, if I've got it correctly that that Steve and Julia have one that is asymmetric so Steve is open and Julia is not but also what we might just call open relationship that's one type where the assumption is look you can you're allowed to um, you know have some other people on the side and the you know people negotiate the contours of that there's a second type which informally you could call swinging which is um, we are with other people but only when we're both there so that might be something like orgies or perhaps uh, pretty sexual parties and things like that. Um, and the third type is, is polyamory. And uh, polyamory is a subcase of open relationships that that really is about long-term, emotionally intimate connections with more than one partner. Um, mm. By the way, it can easily be that all three are equally emotionally intimate, right? So so the again, there's all these different variations. And I agree with you completely that there are many sorts of, of reasons why uh, people might want to open their relationship, not least of which is to benefit their relationship. Um, there are many deeply loving, intimate sorts of connections. I get the sense that Steve and Julia have a relationship like this, where, where the the uh, non-monogamy that they've sort of written into the relationship actually serves to strengthen the relationship itself among other goals. Um, mm-hmm. And that is indeed one of the major reasons why people might want to do this. Some relationships can benefit from opening them up, especially if people are compatible in lots of ways. But one person, say, for example, has a, st- a stronger sex drive or, or different sorts of sexual kinks than somebody else does, which how often does that happen? A lot.
4: Mm. So so getting straight into that, how would a couple, like let's say you take a couple, they are not open at all. Um, how does that couple know if an open relationship is one, an option, two, an option that'll help them or hurt them, and overall just a good idea?
6: Well, overall, one of the great perils of being human is that you can't know. You you yeah. cannot predict the future. And you know, I enjoyed listening to to Julia and Steve process um, how they go about their consensual non-monogamy. The the Steve's openness in the relationship, and it's it's um they didn't talk about it as something definitive. Uh, Julia raised the the possibility that. Who knows? This is what I'm doing for now. But for later, you know, it's nice that I'll have opportunities available to me. There won't be strict rules about these sorts of things. To me, a question
4: that also comes to mind to add on top of that is let's say that there is there is a problem like you had mentioned, um, you know, maybe one has more sex drive or one is always wanting to try new things or or any of the anything in a relationship in my mind i'm thinking if i was in that situation i would think how do i reignite the spark with this one person but i think there's also this second mindset that goes maybe it's time for me to find a, that that specific spark elsewhere so that this relationship doesn't have to carry the burden of of those problems you know what i mean so how do you know how to
6: differentiate how to
4: discern which way to go
6: well you have two different situations. one is where you start entirely monogamous and then have to broach the conversation. That's a very delicate conversation to broach because we have these very strict rules about the way people are supposed to behave um, you know in 21st century America right These rules differ across time and so it can be very very hurtful to bring up the topic. In a case like Stephen Julia, they knew from the start um, what the contours of the relationship were and either option has risk. I mean I, I would I would ask all of the people who think consensual non-monogamy, like, that's terrifying. Why would you do that? There's so much risk. Well, I'll tell you what. It's not like commitment to permanent monogamy is risk-free. It's not like Americans today have just totally nailed it, right? Like, we know exactly how to do the perfect marriage. And as you can see, nobody's divorcing and everyone's happy. These things are very, very complicated. So I don't think you can say, we're going to open it and it's going to be fine, because our ability to know how that's going to play out is less than certain. Maybe we think we're opening up a little bit, but then somebody falls more in love than he intended to. Um, Maybe somebody thinks she'll be fine with having it be open, but then the pain comes and, you know, she didn't anticipate it and so be it. So there is definitely risk in doing it. I just... Don't think that the question really is, is there risk in consensual non-monogamy? Because the answer is yes, we should skip it. I think we need to be aware what the risks are of monogamy, which includes things like boredom, frustration, sexlessness. There's all sorts of risks that come from 60 years of committed exclusivity, and how do those risks play out for us relative to the risks of consensual non-monogamy? And for many relationships, many people, the, the best plan is going to be monogamy, but certainly not for everybody.
4: You had, And you had mentioned this exact thing of, of how it's not like we've really nailed monogamy down. You know, divorce rates are at an all-time high, and, and it's not really... Not necessarily, you know, proven that that's the that's the way to go Um, in your in your studies. Have you found any specific statistic that shows maybe open relationships have a higher success rate than monogamous relationships?
6: So the, the ideal study here is basically impossible. So, so to draw causal conclusions, what we'd really want to do is take a sample of a few thousand people and randomly assign some of them to have a monogamous relationship and some of them to have a consensually non-monogamous relationship. For, for practical reasons and um, ethical reasons, you can't really run that study. So, so the best studies really that are available at this time is to take samples of people who have opted in. Right. So among people who have opted into a consensually non-monogamous relationship versus a monogamous relationship, who's who's happier if either. Right. Is there a difference? And, and that work has now been done. So if you take a sample of people who are consensually non-monogamous and the study I'm thinking of is it, they did a really good job. So these are all heterosexual couples. That is a male identifying person with a primary partner who is female identifying or vice versa and open. Right. So they have a primary partner of the other sex and non-monogamous. And they compare that to a sample of people who also have um, male identifying with female identifying or vice versa, but they've adopted a monogamous norm. So, so far as we can tell, the major difference is is the norm they have in their relationship. Um, so, what are the differences when it comes to things like satisfaction and commitment? No differences. There are no differences in terms of overall level of satisfaction or average level of satisfaction. There are minor differences in terms of things like trust. Um, and which way do you think that effect might go? Because I think it, if anything goes the other way. So the consensually non-monogamous relationships are a little bit more trusting than, wow. the, uh, than the monogamous relationships. And I think it's partly the things that, that we saw from, from Steve and Julia where this— Doing this stuff well, having a primary partner and also seeing other people is is emotionally fraught and it requires additional levels of processing and conversation. And so I think that there is some benefit that comes from those sorts of conversations. Once again, let me underscore, this is not a risk-free option. People can get (laughs) very, very hurt in ways they don't anticipate. They can fall in love in ways they don't anticipate. But there are all sorts of upsides as well of this type of relationship for, again, for the people who feel comfortable trying it.
4: You know, I'm surprised, but I'm also not necessarily surprised about that trust finding because, you know, Julia had mentioned at first, and, and I and I don't mean to speak about you what like you're not here, Julia, but she mentioned <laughs> at first, you know, that she didn't want to know and then the kind of the anxiety of not knowing. I, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, if I didn't know, then any time my significant other would leave, if my girlfriend would leave for the grocery store, I'm like, she's going to go talk to that fucking guy at the grocery store. But now that you know, I think having the knowledge and having the open conversation—uh, pun intended—having the open conversation about, hey, this is this is how I feel, and everything always builds more trust. So if you're if you're kind of covering the infidelity with, hey, my heart is open and this is where I go, it, it actually makes. A lot of sense that that you would have more trust in a relationship like that.
6: Yeah. Uh, one quick thing on on terminology. So the reason why um, people who are are you know receptive to this lifestyle arrangement, this type of relationship, use the clunky language of non monogamy and consensual non monogamy is because language like infidelity um, and and adultery, this is usually language of people being dishonest. So mm. so infidelity, I don't I don't think there's any infidelity um, in Steve and, and Julia's relationship.
4: But in a non monogamous relationship, it's not infidelity, it's openness. That's it right. is, it is honesty. That's that's, that's, c- exactly that's kind right. what I was getting so,
6: at. So again, I could talk about about people in general because I mostly focus on data, but because um, Steve and Julia we're so generous with their story. We can u- use them as an example. I hope I hope that's fine with everybody. Um, they have this, this emotional processing. And, and what does that do? Like they come out, you know, he comes out of the room. He's just had the conversation and the two of them sit on the couch, maybe pour a glass of wine and have a conversation about what it means. And it's an opportunity for her to say, for example, I'm not putting words in your mouth, Julia, just sort of speaking hypothetically, like that was a little hard on me. And he can say, I know, and I'm sensitive to that. And it's very important to me that you feel loved. And they can take this opportunity to share what they feel and and their sensitivity about those things. And the norms in favor of doing that are very high in the poly community in particular. There are very, very strong norms in favor of lots of communication. It's one of these things where I, I actually feel like the monogamous world has a whole lot to learn from the consensually non-monogamous world in terms of how to communicate, just like I think that um, the the sort of vanilla world has a whole lot to wor- to learn from the kink or BDSM community about the nature of consent. I think people um, who are monogamous have a lot to learn about how to communicate effectively about emotions and hurt feelings mm-hmm. um, from people who are practicing uh, non-monogamists. I, I totally
4: agree. I mean, I'm just a sponge today. Like it's really, it's really the level of, I mean, because I think in my mind, in my relationship, if you can talk or in any relationship, if you can talk about your heart in its fullness, then you could talk about anything like you're not going to get offended by tiny little things if you can have big, broader conversations of, of open honesty. Um, your advice for couples sometimes centers around adjusting your expectations from your relationship or from what your marriage could do for you. Uh, how does that apply here with open relationships and how is it a little bit different?
6: Well, one of the things that, that's especially enlightening about studying this stuff is all of us are born into a certain cultural and historical moment, and we think that we know exactly what marriage is, and we act as if marriage has sort of always been like this, or mm-hmm. or else we look at at. You know, leave it to Beaver and say that marriage was always like that before, but it wasn't. The 1950s was a bizarro world that existed for like 15 years, and it just happened to be the time that TV came in. Marriage was never like that before, and it was never really like that after. Um, So today we have a whole range of different expectations. And and like I said, it didn't used to be the case that people talked a lot about marrying their best friend or about, you know, living an authentic life and, and about, you know, being in a marriage that helps us grow as individuals. That's very much of the now. And, and in my book, I, I track the history of these ideas. And, and this is, we are in the, the third major era of marriage in America. I call it the self-expressive era where these sorts of emotional and psychological needs are foundational to our expectations of marriage. That is, we think that a marriage that doesn't deliver these things is inadequate. Now, in the 50s, that wasn't really the case. And certainly in 1800, that wasn't the case when really it was about food production and shelter. Um, But these days, we, we have these sorts of expectations. The thing that was most fun about writing the book is that I had started thinking that these changes are bad. That that basically we are ruining marriage. We're putting Mm. so many expectations on this one relationship that there's no way it can withstand all the weight that we're throwing on it. I came to think something different in the end. I came to think that when you're throwing all these expectations, it is true that a marriage that would have been totally adequate for our grandparents may disappoint us today, but it's also true that a level of marital connection is possible today that was out of reach in an era where we weren't even trying. Mm. And so so the, the calibration of what is it that we're going to look to our marriage to do in terms of our deep emotional fulfillment, in terms of our sexual fulfillment, in terms of helping us, inspiring us in our career, if we can play to the strengths of the marriage on those things, and also figuring out? You know, where am I not ready to look to just this one person? So so Steve has a philosophical objection, and many people do, to monogamy. He's not willing to look to one person for just that. Do they have the sort of relationship that they can say, look, that is a reasonable place for you to look elsewhere to fulfill some of your needs, and we don't have strict rules about which needs you you need to meet here versus in this other sort of context?
4: I'm perplexed right now. (laughs) I am like, I'm just, this is so... Cool. I'm really grateful for all three of you guys for being on the show. I have one more question before we take a break. You've studied now romance in general, but even these topics for decades now. What's something that you wish people knew? People like me who are literally probably listening to this podcast like, whoa, I never even thought about it like that. What's something that you wish people knew about the benefits, like the real benefits of having an OSO, either
6: romantic or, or otherwise? Well, that it can benefit the primary relationship. And again, I, I'm not a zealot for this stuff. I'm not a fanatic saying everybody should be doing this. Like Steve, I, I think there are very, very serious, you know, risks involved with this. It's not for everybody. But but I think the assumption that if there's some amount of non-monogamy, some amount of non-exclusivity, that suggests some sort of failing uh, in the primary relationship. And if if the relationship were good enough, then there would be no need to look elsewhere. I I, I think it is the wrong logic. Um, certainly, that's true in some situations. But it may well be the case that that you know we're unbelievably compatible in all sorts of ways and this is a way that's that you know monogamy isn't a huge priority to either one of us and we both think it's fun to be with other people or we find like we have a deep intellectual connection with somebody else that doesn't in any way step on the connection that we feel with our primary partner that that having a, an additional partner can actually benefit the relationship. And I didn't talk about the relevant studies here, but but for example, there's one study that looks at how intimate we feel with our partner as a function of whether we're in a monogamous or a non-monogamous relationship. Here again, this is a separate study from before, no difference, right? You might think that intimacy is this limited commodity, and for each minute that Steve t- talks to some other woman that that's a minute of intimacy that he doesn't get with Julia, there's no evidence that that's the case. Wow.
4: We're just factual. We're just, we're just, oh wow, this is... <laughs> this is so sick we're taking a break but it's a quick break because we got to we got to keep talking about this don't go anywhere
0: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city
4: We are back. I told you it was gonna be a quick break. We are here talking about love hacks. Uh this is I'm so excited about this, this whole episode. Like I can't wait for people to hear this. Steve and, and Julia, from your guys' experience, what's something that you wish totally monogamous couples like me, uh, what's one thing you wish they knew about being an open relationship?
5: I think just that it's kind of what I've been saying the whole time, where it's like it's not that different from any other kind of problem and it's not necessarily the solution to your problem. Like Eli was saying, I don't think that it's for everyone or the solution to every problem, but it can be a gateway to connection and it can be, it's an option. It's a possible solution to something. Again, not always the solution, but also because just because that's not there doesn't mean you don't also have relationship problems. You have relationship (laughs) problems no matter what. So it's all about like, what are those problems? And if you're a monogamous, that doesn't mean like Eli said too, that you are having any more intimacy or that you are not. So as long as you are getting what you want from your relationship, who cares how it's, how it's working?
1: Um, for me, I would have to say, um, you know it's it's funny my uh social media is so funny because my instagram is all julia like so much julia too much julia and my <laughs> no twitter <interesting>. is, yeah <laughs> and my twitter is i joke around a lot about being non-monogamous and babes and checking out babes and doing stuff that it's a, nothing crass or anything you know i have uh i have a lot of like a women friends and a big women audience and stuff too so you could feel they they would get mad at first if I would tweet about it because they love Julia so much. They fall in love with her on my Instagram. And so they're kind of protective of her. But you could see over time they understand it. It's like, oh, but obviously they're staying together and Steve loves her. So it's almost like, listen, if you will allow me to be free, like truly free, then um, like you will own my heart in like so many ways. So I think by but I think time has pl- played out and showed to our comedy community and everything that you know if you can allow the other person to be themselves that's such a loyalty and a, like a true fidelity of my heart exists. It's almost by, you know, that stupid old saying that if you like open your hand and let the bird fly away, then it's, and it comes back, <laughs> it's yours. That we That's truly like h- how it's played out. I feel. What are you going to well, say, Julia? No,
5: I was just going to say, no, I agree. And I feel like I haven't, I feel like I haven't said, I love you enough on this. Uh, that like that's, I feel like it's implied we're married and I love you, but it is, I think that's the thing that you ask yourself most importantly, that it's like, if you, everything that you are doing should be coming from Love, And that might mean like loving someone also can mean breaking up with someone or having it not work or whatever. But I think that Mm. anything in that thing, as much as it is a cliche, it is very true that if you are like too afraid to try the thing for fear of of losing the relationship, it's not yours. You're holding, Mm. you are having to hold it under a condition that is not real. That's what I at least tell myself is that I'm like, if I really love this person, then I need to love them exactly as they are. That doesn't mean Mm. I'm not entitled to my feelings about it or that I can't still be hurt or ask them to, you know, change behaviors, whatever. But, but if you really love someone, it cannot be conditional on them doing only behaving in one certain way. So I think that reminding yourself that you, that you love this person, uh, like is, is the thing too.
6: Right, um, Eli. You had something that you had, you wanted to add. <laughs> Julia, it. I have a question for you. So sure. I, it wouldn't surprise me if if some of the listeners are thinking, really, it's not okay to ask, possibly even demand any type of sacrifice. Um, any thoughts on that? Like, are, in in principle, are there is it okay to make those demands?
5: I think you absolutely can make those demands. I think you can you can always ask for anything, um, and it doesn't mean that you. Get them, and I think more importantly, if you aren't sure why you are asking them to make that demand, if you don't parse through, and mind you, my mom is a psychiatrist. I've been in therapy. I'm like a real therapy person. I've I've read all the, not not all the books, but that Whoa. <laughs>
0: every book
5: <laughs> ever,
6: every book no, ever. Is, One was just published uh, on this podcast. Yes,
5: this is this is something that I have have thought through a lot and all those things. So I understand that, like that is we aren't taught to like think like this necessarily but i think again this idea of like if you aren't sure why you're demanding that of someone it's going to pop up in another way in your relationship likely that doesn't have anything to do with monogamy or not so if it's a boundary for you and you know that about yourself then yeah again you can ask you can ask whatever you want but uh you have to be prepared to deal with the consequences if their answer is no and if it's really a boundary if it was more of a way to like manipulate someone's behavior instead of a I know myself I know that I'm not going to be comfortable with this like then it's coming from a boundary love place as opposed to a like you're my husband I'm allowed to tell you you need to do this thing so is that the right I, answer I want I wanna...
6: <laughs> Yep, hundred <laughs> percent,
4: nailed it. It's because she read every. It's because she read every book ever. So you both, you both brought something up, and I, and and I, it made me want to kind of make a statement. But I'm still going to come in as a question because I'm I'm such a, a newbie into this conversation. It seems like either way, uh, a non-monogamous relationship is definitely for a strong couple. You know, there's a lot of couples who who choose non-monogamy as like a last resort to a relationship that's not strong. <laughs> um, but what are some markers that you and your relationship could survive or even thrive if it were to open up? Like this one's Julia. <laughs> oh,
0: right, I, have, I,
5: Julia. Do, I love this kind of thing. She's read all the books. I've read all the books.
4: <laughs> Every book. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is, is you're 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 unique in the sense of like you hit that crossroads where you were like yeah. this is a path that we're about to take what 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 gave you those inklings that like this is the right move to do something that you've never really done before well i i
1: do want julia to answer but we are very much obsessed with uh, a thing has to last forever or as for as long as possible to me if if you're using this stuff and you end up breaking up it's cuz you needed to break up and that's right. okay and if at some point julia and i need to break up. I mean, that was a real, this is my second marriage. And I like thought I was never going to get married again, but we've talked about it so much. I knew it would make her so happy. And I was, I'm surprised at how happy it's made me, but I just thought about it. And I was like, I just realistically, I can't see a way I'm older now. And she's older. We're not kids. I can't see it ending. If it does end, if we, our value systems change or we want different things that happens with life, But to me, it's never about how can we make this last forever? It's how can we both be the healthiest, most full versions of ourselves? And and that might be hopefully that means we stay together forever. uh, But it might not mean that. So Mm. I think it's important to, to realize that people breaking up is absolutely not the end of the world. Some of the worst relationships I know people have stayed together forever. Mm-hmm, Julia, right? what were you going to say?
5: No, I was going to say, I think first and foremost, if you are thinking about it, then it's maybe worth exploring. Doesn't mean necessarily actually literally opening up, but I'm a big fan of like, if something philosophically works, you should kind of be able to apply it to other things besides that thing. So if you are feeling stagnant in some kind of way, maybe it's not literally opening up your relationship, but maybe it is... uh hanging out with your friends or just even asking yourself, am I identifying with this partnership? Like, what would it mean to me if this partnership didn't work? And what fears do that bring up for, for me about my self-worth about, uh, what pressures am I maybe putting on this person that I'm not aware of that I am saying like, is there, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to like start up a new hobby? Is there other things? I think it's again, this, this, same thing is this idea of like oh our relationship is the problem I think sometimes it's your problem and it's not it's not like because the relationship isn't working it's because you aren't working in some way and not mm. to say that it's like your fault but uh, I think it's like being not being afraid to ask the the questions but exploring like well what what are my resistances to that in not opening up or like where am I if I don't do it in this way where else could I uh, be more open in my life.
4: Yeah, totally. Eli, you 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 put your hand up so I know you could speak to this.
6: How I would love for people to think about monogamy is a titanic ask. The idea that you will not have uh, emotional or romantic or sexual um, connections with anybody but me for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years is gigantic, and that's fine. I think many people should indeed make that ask. It's the best option for many, many people. But treating it as some default, as some obvious thing that we're gonna do, and then we're gonna start getting to what we're really asking of each other, that's a risk. That's a risk of we're gonna ask mm-hmm. more than is appropriate given what we're willing to invest. And and so what I would urge people to do is to be deliberate about this decision. Do we want to commit to a lifetime of monogamy together? If so, what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of my fitness regimen? What does that mean in terms of of how I'm going to, you know, manage my work-related travel and make sure that I don't put myself in in risky situations? Make sure that I don't become a comedian. Right, there are all sorts of things <laughs> that we're ne- we're going to need to calibrate in order to make that happen. And and the problem is because everybody views this as the obvious default, People aren't engaging with the size, the magnitude of the ask. So God bless. You want to be monogamous forever. That's terrific. What are the things you're not going to ask of your marriage? What are the things that you're going to do in order to make sure that monogamy can actually be plausible for the two of you over the next however many years that you hope the relationship lasts?
5: I was going to say, let me backtrack. I think demanding that your partner not become a comedian is the only thing that you're allowed to demand in a relationship. The only demand <laughs> that is
4: across the board.
5: <laughs> no, I think, no, I-, no, I totally, I love that because it is the thing, I think no matter what, the default that there is no kind of relationship that doesn't require immense communication and deliberation and self-discovery and sacrifice in all of those ways is it, monogamy or not, all relationships require work and and thought and effort and all of those things.
4: It seems to me, as I've as as I'm learning this real time firsthand, you know, learning on this podcast, the biggest thing is like. And, and it's so corny, but it's like, you got to follow your heart. You know, Julia, you said sometimes do it, sometimes following your heart and really loving somebody is leaving them and breaking up with them. Like you had mentioned as well, Steve, like it's not following your heart is not staying in a 30 year marriage where you're miserable and you secretly wish that you were, you know, that you were somewhere else with someone else. Um, and, and the same thing is following your heart is knowing, Hey, this, you know, even though monogamy is whatever is the main popular thing. It's not. It's not where my heart goes. I gotta go this way. And with a partner, it's like, yo, this is something that's really important to me. It's following my heart. And every great relationship think encourages the other person to follow their heart and chase after what their you know what their desires are and so that's something that I really took away um especially from this whole episode but I do want to close out that this segment is called love hacks and and the reason why it's called that is Eli in your book uh you talk about love hacks can you explain that um and and tell us maybe one of your favorite love hacks
6: Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, the the book um, is is really about how we calibrate our expectations to what we as a couple can actually achieve, Um, sort of helps people think well about that. So in some sense, the book is a supply and demand story. It says you can demand whatever you want to ask of the relationship, but then the supply matters. Are we compatible enough? Are we investing enough time in the relationship? Are we keeping ourselves fit enough to be attractive to our partner for 50 years? These are the sorts of supply and demand calibrations, but there's a little bit of a shortcut that, that's not going to make a bad relationship a good one, but it can help around the edges, which is the, the idea of love hacks. Are there quick and dirty things we can do to make the relationship a little bit stronger that don't require big date nights and big conversations, that, that require relatively little investment, relatively little supply, but that can increase the quality of the relationship? Um, it's based a little bit on the on the observation by the, the novelist Marcel Proust, who says that mystery is not about traveling to new places, but about looking with new eyes. And in the book, I talk mm. about Eight different, you know, science-backed love hacks. Um, one of the ones that you know we created in, in our lab here at Northwestern is we, we uh, recruited 120 married couples. Uh, we randomly assigned half of them to a condition where they thought about conflict in their marriage from the perspective of a neutral third party who wants the best for everybody. One of them was in a control condition where they didn't do that task, and we found that even though um, the, the writing task took only 21 minutes, we found that people who had immerse themselves in this third party perspective how can we think about conflict from this perspective of a neutral third party who wants the best for everyone that just reorienting your thinking in that way made your relationship better over the subsequent year
4: wow and you and 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 i also want to touch on this is you had mentioned this during the break is that people act as if the, the the study of romance or, or open relationships or, or consensual non- monogamy is just kind of like uh, table talk, but in reality, there's so much research behind this, and you're obviously a first-hand example of of how much research is done and books that have been written, including your own, including, uh, and I want you to shout it out. I, I
6: can't exactly remember what it is. Something slut, um, but the ethical a, slut. Oh, the that ethical one's actually slut. not scientific, um, but but it is a it is a book about relationships. There are there are many books about books about relationships. Not all of them are based in the data. In fact, very few are. And mm. it's one of the major reasons why I wanted to write the book is, is there are thousands of people who have devoted their entire careers to collecting data about what makes relationships better or worse, just on average, right? You can't really say, and therefore you, you specific couple, this is how you should do it. But it provides useful clues to know that these sorts of behaviors tend on average to be beneficial. These sorts of behaviors tend on average to be particularly harmful. And there are, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of journal articles cloistered in academic libraries. And so one of the things I wanted to do was to distill what I thought were some of the main learnings from that scholarly literature and, and bring it and bring them to the public.
4: Well, you definitely did, um, and 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 I'm so grateful that uh, that that you are here on the podcast, as well as Julia and Steve. You know, growing up, not knowing anybody who was even in an, a consensual non monogamous relationship until just a couple years ago, seeing not only a, a, a consensual non monogamous relationship, but also seeing how much love it's just as strong as my parents, who have been monogamous for thirty years with each other, and understanding that. Uh, The overall goal in a relationship across the board is to just be open and honest and loving with each other. I know that for a moment it kind of became like the live version of breaking down your relationship. And so I'm so grateful that you guys came on. And also the fact that you guys are like the gold standard for love in itself. And so... Um, I, it, it means a lot to me and it, I think it's time for my favorite segment of the show so that people can see all of these pictures of Julia, like you're talking about Steve. It's called <laughs> not so shameless promo. Uh, just tell us about what you're working on, what you're excited about and where we can find you on social media. Go for it.
1: Oh, I've got a bunch of podcasts. I have a religion podcast. I used to be a minister called uh, Who's Your God with Amy Miller, a movie podcast called Views from the Vista, and a horny guy's um, news podcast called The Male Gaze. You can find me at Big Hern on Twitter and Hernia on
4: Instagram. Hernia? Did you get, is it actually just spelled like Hernia? Can't believe I got it. I cannot <laughs> that- <laughs> believe that you got that. That's amazing. People should follow you just for the ta- just for the handle. Just for the handle. People
5: always say like, oh, hernia? Like at like We'll just <laughs> refer to them him as if that is his name. So it's a good one. That's a good uh, sign.
4: I love it. Julia, hit us with some not-so-shameless promos.
5: Sure. I am at Julia Loken on all platforms. Uh, as you mentioned in my intro, I also am a co-host of uh, an astrology comedy podcast called What's Your Sign? Uh, if you are into astrology or not into astrology, I personally love having haters listen. Uh, I love talking to astro-haters. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> I am truly fueled by the astro haters. So you could you could totally hate it and absolutely listen, uh, but that's at what's your sign podcast on all of the platforms. Um, I am going to start offering astrology readings, so if you're interested in that, slide in my DMs.
6: Eli Finkel, um, the author of The All or Nothing Marriage, a professor at Northwestern University. The book tries to take what we know, take a data-based approach, what we know about relationships, um, to help people figure out how they themselves can build stronger relationships if possible. Uh, I'm on social media. uh, Handle is Eli J. Finkel, F-I-N-K-E-L, and primarily on Twitter, but also on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Love that.
4: You know you can always find me at Alex Iono everywhere. It's the best part about having a weird last name, A-I-O-N and oh uh, but more importantly please make sure you rate our podcast and subscribe you can leave a review that is how we grow but i'm so grateful that you came and listened today and i'll talk to you guys next time peace we really want you to get the help you need so if you need help please seek independent advice from a competent healthcare or mental health professional The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent the opinions of iHeartMedia or its employees. This podcast should not be used as medical advice, mental health advice, counseling, or therapy. Listening to the podcast does not establish doctor-patient relationship with hosts or guests of Alex Iono, Let's Get Into It, or iHeartMedia. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast.
0: Oof, that's a doozy.